Warning. The Return to Snakeland podcast contains descriptions of sexual assault, suicide, and murder. If you feel there is any possibility of triggering, please listen with caution. And it's time to return to Snakeland. I'm Jason Gussman, and this is episode 10, in which we examine the prolonged hysteria of the American satanic panic and its effect on Kenmore, New York from 1985 through 1986. A great deal of thanks for content for this episode has to go out to the Satanic Temple's Gray Faction Campaign. Gray Faction is a campaign of the Satanic Temple dedicated to ending the ongoing satanic panic in the mental health field. You can learn more at grayfaction.org. That's G-R-E-Y-F-A-C-T-I-O-N.org. Well, Aaron, the satanic panic usually refers specifically to uh, the events that took place in the 1980s in America. Uh, even though the the moral panic it generated eventually spread to multiple countries in Europe, including England, as well as into the 1990s, um, most notably in the case of the West Memphis Three. Uh, however, mostly what we're going to be focusing on, as far as the satanic panic goes, uh, are the uh, are the events that occurred uh, during the 1980s because they directly reflect on the events. Uh, around Return of Snake Land, as well as uh, the fact that uh, a great many of the of the individuals listening may not have lived through this time period, so it's definitely going to right. require yeah, require some uh, some context. So, yeah, and that's and that's the thing is you know maybe people have heard of it, and I mean sure people our age definitely know what it is, or if they're listening to this, you probably. But if you're younger and you don't know what it is, this is going to be sort of a I guess a tutorial on what the satanic panic was. You, you know? got it. It, you was, got it. it was. It was. It was. A, it was a weird time. Very weird. It was. It was, and you really, you really don't realize how weird it was until you're you're aged out of it and going back and reading stuff about the various events because it's it's very strange, and the fact that anybody took it seriously is sometimes hard to believe, but. Um, unless we, you know, we specify something, all this stuff actually happened. And there mm. it goes. So. A satanic panic timeline, November first, nineteen eighty. Michelle remembers. Co-authored by psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder and his patient turned wife Michelle Smith. This book details the latter's therapy at the hands of the former. 
this therapy used uh, hypnosis to recover supposedly repressed memories and ultimately led to a bizarre narrative of Smith having been subject to a ritual abuse at the hands of a satanic cult. Through his sessions with Smith, Pazder became convinced of a vast satanic ritual abuse conspiracy and writing the notoriety this book brought would go on to speak widely on the supposed phenomenon and consult on as many as 1,000 cases over the next decade. Pazder, a devout Catholic, even traveled with Smith to the Vatican to alert the church about the satanic scourge. Okay, you know, we're we're off to we're off to a, a real a real uh, run and start here with Michelle remembers. I've never I've never actually uh, read this book. However, I mean the effects of the book uh, pretty much speak for themselves. And, you know, first off, the whole patient turned wife thing. Ugh, that can't be. That can't no. be like good. No, it's super gross. And and the very the very idea that you know this guy is supposedly a devout Catholic. Well. I mean, it just wasn't really tuned into the whole uh, Hippocratic Oath thing, you know, because right. it just that's, you know, that's just, you don't do it, you know. But anyways, the whole other piece of this, the the repressed memories and this and this narrative of, of, of Michelle being uh, the subject of uh, ritual abuse at the hands of a satanic cult is... Um, it's it's problematic anyway because just because of the fact that repressed memories have still never been fully accepted by mm, the okay. uh yeah by the by the the psychiatric community you know that there's 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 definitely some uh, some questions as to uh their validity you know um we're not going to talk about it in this in this uh this particular timeline but there was a book uh called Sybil that came out. Yeah. You might remember the movie yep. with uh, Sally Field, but pretty much that that was the narrative was was um, not just repressed memories, but repressed memories that brought on um, multiple personalities. And much like this book, Michelle remembers uh, the book. Sybil was also totally debunked later on mm. as well. So and, and also pulling repressed memories with um, hypnosis. I've you know, just heard nothing but horror stories about that. I'm not saying it probably has no good effect, but hypnosis seems like it can like implant more things than an door opening to something that you didn't know that was there before. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Now I don't, I don't know the, uh, the real details of it, uh, because you know, it just, it's just, it's one of those things that there's, there's problems from the get go. With with this right. whole thing, as you might as you might imagine, knowing some of the uh, the outcomes. But speaking of which, 1982, this is about the Kern County cases. The mid 1980s saw a string of accusations of satanic ritual abuse in Kern County, California. These would ultimately lead to convictions of dozens of people. All but two subsequently had their convictions overturned, the remaining two having died in prison before they could clear their names. Oh, man, that's awful. Yeah, I didn't even know this story, and, and I, just, I, was, I was just blown away. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably horrific. And this is really early on. This is 80. Right, right, right. In his book, Mean Justice... Edward Humes notes that several Kern County social workers, 
great going there, social workers, attended a training <laughs> session <laughs> that hyped devil worship as a major element in child molestations shortly before the satanic ritual abuse panic in Kern hit its full stride. The reason the reason I made I, I made that um, that aside there is because I'm a I'm a social worker myself, and it's always it's always really pleasant to see you know your uh, <laughs> your chosen vocation made a laughing stock. But yeah, right, well, right. you know what? Not even just a laughing stock, but just out, outright you know like harming individuals you know died yeah. in prison you know i just anyway but unfortunately yeah. uh social workers in, including the uh the notorious key mcfarland uh were are going to continue to play a uh, role in this so right right well the next one is the landmark uh story i suppose or one of the mm-hmm. biggest ones is 1983 the mcmartin preschool case Uh, Shortly after the initial accusation of sexual abuse at the hands of a teacher at the McMartin Family Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, this story quickly became a full-blown satanic ritual uh, abuse panic. The stories here are especially bizarre, containing accounts ranging from witches exhibiting supernatural powers to Chuck Norris participating in the campaign of abuse. That's something. (laughs) I mean, you know, we're assuming that it wasn't actually... Chuck Norris, but, you know, I mean... Maybe it looked like him. Maybe it looked like him, you know. Uh, It goes further. Uh, (laughs) Investigations into these claims were carried out and ultimately led to the trial of seven people on hundreds of counts of abuse of almost 50 children. During this time, Lawrence Panzer, uh, Michelle Smith, authors of Michelle Remembers, met with the alleged victims and their families. The trial spanned uh, from 1987 to 1990 and ultimately led to no convictions, despite being uh, the longest and most expensive trial in American history at the time. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know we're going to get in more details in this, but it is just when you read some of the stuff, you're just like, what the heck? people like were were people high when they were like getting this information and, oh, and sure. running with it and yeah. printing it too printing it into you know right. newspapers and everything mm-hmm. well and 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 this too i mean we i don't think you know we address this because it's mostly visual but there's been a uh like a there's basically like a satanic handbook that police had put together to share with each other, you know, just like just kind of like a little pamphlet kind of thing with uh, with various things like, you know, the obvious stuff like, uh, you know, pentagrams and uh, upside down crosses. And then some things that are either incredibly obscure or just they made them up, you know, oh, but, uh, right, right. but that's yeah, that's out there now. It's uh, you can you can find it on uh, Twitter of all places. Um, it's uh, I can't remember the lady's name or what her handle is, but. Uh, it's out there, so you can just do a search on it and find wow. it. The next bit is about the McMartins, and this is actually from the original the original uh, work, for want of a better term, Return to Snakeland, which was uh, this was this was already this was already written and uh, and put together before uh, Aaron came on board. But the this piece about the McMartins, I think, still strikes home. One of the best things I have read on the whole McMartin preschool debacle was The Dark Truth About the McMartin Tunnels by John Earle, published by the Institute for Psychological Therapies Journal in 1995. 
which is actually very well respected. Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs> the chapter titles of the dark truth are as evocative as the titles of the different sections of the Warren report. Portentous, enigmatic, bizarre. Hmm. The beginning, the accusation, hysteria spreads, satanic trappings and the search for the secret rooms and tunnels, incredibly weak evidence, Judy Johnson's increasingly bizarre behavior, origin of a secret room, from Santa Claus to lions, multiple molestations, devils, a dead baby, and a ghost. Sounds like the a missing tunnel. So some of them are Harvey <laughs> Boys homogenous, like the case of the missing tunnel. Others mm-hmm. sound like a postmodern stand-up routine. So some devils, a dead baby, and a ghost all walk into a bar. <laughs> Titles aside, the dark truth casts a very skeptical eye upon a situation that pretty much everyone should have been casting a skeptical eye upon. During this period, I feel that one of the most important things to note about the whole McMartin tragedy is not just how many people were taken in by the stories, but the pure outlandishness of those stories. So, first off, the whole McMartin family aligned together to rape children under the front of a daycare center is much to swallow on its own. Again, somebody in the family didn't say no. You know, like right. yeah. wasn't, nobody, nobody, a, nobody said that. I'm not, I'm not doing yeah. that. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. You yeah. Know. Right. But the lengths that they supposedly went to are completely insane, even by satanic panic standards. The construction of an extensive series of tunnels underneath the daycare center wasn't even the most of it. There mm-hmm. were trips on airplanes to be molested by unearthly cowboys. There were visits to a lion who watched while the children were sodomized. There was a full-blown sacrificial altar where tiny babies were bled white in tribute to dark gods. And, of course, there were the animals that were slaughtered in front of the children with the warning that this is what would happen to mommy and daddy and little brother or little sister if they told anybody what the McMartins did to them. This is the Mm. piece of it that stuck with me the longest. The piece I remembered without much prompting, probably because it's the only piece that, in its own sick way, makes sense. You know, that's uh, that's the that's the piece of it that really you know put the chill into me. And unfortunately, you know, at the time, I was I was I was younger. You know, I was I was like what like fifteen when uh, McMartin happened. You know, so so basically, like I. You know, I, I, I believed, you know, what I was, what I was hearing. What you were reading. Know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you had yeah. no way to filter that out. Sure. You know, but that is the question that haunts all the stories that haunts the blank faces of Dr. Roland C. Summit and Key McFarlane, who interviewed the children and presented the stories of transatlantic rape flights and sentient lions with a straight face. Why did we believe any of it? No physical evidence of molestation except the anal irritation of the son of a paranoid schizophrenic who killed herself soon after the beginning of the McMartin trial. 
Okay, now that's yeah. Okay, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's that's it's it's horribly tragic. And and this is not to say that you know we need to start you know blaming uh, a paranoid schizophrenic for right, right. you know for the, the you know the the McMartin atrocity here. But the fact is, is everything else that people who weren't uh, seriously or persistently mentally ill were believing and prosecuting these people for right. No graveyard of slaughtered pets or babies was ever found except for two turtles buried in shoeboxes the way you do for children when their pets die. Or no tunnels. Maybe they sacrificed those turtles to Satan. Only two turtles? That's it? <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. That's all, that's all the Dark Lord wanted. <laughs> Sorry. I certainly made it, well, he made it easy on them because, I mean, they're slow. You know, and it's like, you know, did you, ask him slowly. To, <laughs> you didn't ask him to uh, to do anything, uh, anything more serious than that. So, right. but um, yeah, there was no tunnels underneath the daycare center, at least not tunnels as any rational human being would understand them. And certainly no private jet or traceable flights to the land of unearthly cowboys. The question remains, then, why did anyone, even panicky parents plagued with neurosis, believe this nonsense i don't know where the next question leads us but it is perhaps the only one really worth asking why did we want to believe these stories so badly right right what did they explain what fears did they somehow assuage and perhaps most importantly what archetypes kicked in what shadows around the campfire suddenly came alive and this this piece um i'm i'd like to come back to after we get through the uh, the rest of this, because it really it's it's not something that I have a pat answer to, you know, that I can mm -hmm. just say like, well, Aaron, you know, this is, you know, that kind of thing. But that I think it would it would be good for us to really bat it around a little. Sure, so, absolutely. Um, I go into here the evidence presented by the McMartin children. Uh, Ray Bucky flew in the classroom, took one children to meet a goat man. He took another child to a house where he let lions roam free. Animal sacrifices were committed involving a horse, rabbits, and other classroom pets. Well, okay, right there, and then yeah, I just you know that 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 takes your whole turtle thing to task. I know. I mean, so, yeah, because horses and rabbits can run. I mean, we know yes. that about them. So yeah, I just <laughs> those two turtles. A series of tunnels under the school uh, were connected to a secret chamber for sex rituals and other abuse. Teachers and students visited a, a cemetery to dig up bodies. Teachers took children to orgies at a car wash and an airport. I mean, I just, the visuals I have to see, I really get that one. So, yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, and also, uh, also, uh, four to five year olds are no good at digging up bodies. I'll tell you that right now because I've tried. Every week, you know, and no, week. no, it's ridiculous. They can barely hold they a can, shovel. They can, can't get that shovel in the dirt after Not like right, two inches. Yeah. Children were flushed down toilets to sewer uh, sewer rooms for abuse. Children were transported to off-site abuse locations via hot air balloon. One child identified Hollywood actor Chuck Norris from a photograph, claiming he had been been present for some of the abuse. That damn Chuck Norris. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so this is all just so bizarre and that this was given any credibility and nobody like pumped the brakes going like, whoa, what is what are we talking about here, guys? No, well said. Well said. I mean, like, okay, let's let's do our let's do our investigation, you know, due diligence. Let's make sure the kids are safe. But, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that Key McFarlane was involved in, and I'm, I'm sure you remember this, Aaron, but they had anatomically correct dolls that mm-hmm. they would have, you know, be like, you know, point over here where he touched you, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, right. They were they were already doing that leading questioning. And it was it was very, very close to like rewards for the information they wanted to hear and then right. rewards withheld, you know, when you when you didn't tell them that there was abuse, because that's that's exactly what they didn't want to hear. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, they, they were they're just pumping them for that information, and then, I mean, from what I've heard, it was just all leading questions, you know. Well, so sure. it's sort of yes and kind of thing. Like <laughs> you, you give them a little bit to work on and they just kind of run with that. And then they sure. even go crazier with it. So, and kids are known to have wild imaginations. So. Absolutely. You know, which is great. You know, which is great yeah. about, about kids, I think, but sure. Absolutely. When we're looking for, you know, reliable witnesses, that's a different story. Yeah. You know? yep. Next up is uh 1983 Jordan, Minnesota. And Jordan, Minnesota is smaller than Kenmore, and Kenmore is not big. So it goes to show you just, uh, you know, what a concentrated situation this was. In Jordan, Minnesota, in 1983, several children made allegations against an unrelated man, James Rudd, and their parents. Mm. Rudd, a convicted child molester, confessed and then identified a number of the children's parents as perpetrators. Ultimately, 24 adults were charged with child abuse, though only three went to trial with two acquittals and one conviction. Despite strong medical findings of sexual assault, all other charges were dropped after the young child witnesses decompensated under the duress of the criminal trial. Basically, but with that phrase, I'm assuming that they mean just we're just unable to to go on. I mean, a criminal trial is not something you'd want to put a child through under the best of circumstances, sure. and certainly not as as you know as witnesses to uh, to uh, you know sexual abuse. But um, during the investigation, um, the children made allegations regarding the manufacturing of child pornography, ritualistic animal sacrifice. Coprophagia, which is um, shit eating, uh, urophagia, which is <laughs> which you know, is... drinking of urine, mm. and infanticide. At which point, the Federal Bureau of Investigation was alerted, which you know makes sense, but sure. no criminal charges resulted from the FBI investigation. And in his review of the case, the Attorney General noted that the initial investigation by the local police and county attorney was so poor that it had destroyed the opportunity to fully investigate the children's allegations. Wow, yeah, yeah. They, they, just, they just made everything so, mucked up the water so bad. I mean, how badly do you have to fuck up to, I mean, to make your own case on, you know, prosecutable? You know, it's just, it's, it's madness. Uh, right. The bizarre allegations of the children 
the ambiguities of the investigation and the unsuccessful prosecutions were widely covered by the media. Richard Beck, author of We Believe the Children, which is not, despite the, what the title sounds like, it's actually a critique of the whole, the whole uh, satanic panic. Um, he describes James Rudd's interview testimony as dreamlike and says of it, what makes the account disturbing is the realization that his interviewers essentially encourage a convicted child abuser to fantasize into a microphone for nearly a week, use these fantasies as the foundation of their prosecutorial efforts, and then promise Rudd a reduced sentence in exchange for his services. Mm. That is fucked up. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's yeah. just there's just no there's just no justification, and no wonder right. you're hearing these things from the attorney general. That's absolute madness. I yeah, no, so, and, and you wonder why it was so messed up, right? Yeah, you know, uh, that, that the investigation. I mean, they just they screwed everything up so badly, and you know, um, obviously right. this got um, national attention too. So, right, uh, no, it's, absolutely. it's it's absolutely bizarre. It's just so crazy. All right, this is another section from uh, the original uh, Return of Snakeland book, work, whatever you want to call it, uh, about Jordan, Minnesota. And really, the one main reason why you're still going to find Jordan, Minnesota in uh, Google searches. Uh, Jordan, Minnesota is one of the most important to our discussion because of that song. That song was by a band called Big Black. And it came out on their 1986 album, Atomizer. I first bought Atomizer because it has one of the best album covers in rock history. Clearly labeled with Bugs Bunny style information arrows. It says Earth and Atomizer featuring a dangling (laughs) wick. And next to the pack of big black matches, the simple request, let's go. Mm-hmm. And it came out during a period when I bought records I knew nothing about just because they had amazing covers. Results good reason. Such triumphs. I, I, you know, I look back on it now, and, and, and it led me to uh, the replacements, Let It Be, Who's Gradues, Flip Your Wig, and, uh, well, and also some, some big misfires. But those have been forgotten in the history. Super, so. super Tramp? Uh, no, no, I have uh... <laughs> even good covers man oh i mean i guess breakfast in america was yeah right? that's the one i've got in my head with the lady okay. holding the tree. no i'll go i'll go with you on that one that's no that's, that's good cool call. so yeah yeah absolutely all right um at first i feared that atomizer was going to be one of those misfires because as doug said to me when i first played side one song one called jordan minnesota he said this sounds like silly hardcore which it kind of did if you weren't paying attention just with electronic percussion and more industrial screaming. of the liner notes, which are really uh, a work of art in themselves, 
instantly informed me that something more serious, more interesting was going on. These are from the liner notes on Jordan, Minnesota. They fucked their children, for shit's sake. A whole town. Bus drivers, school teachers, cops, storekeepers, housewives. Little boys, little girls. They play games with it, like very special hide-and-seek, and very special spin-the-bottle, and very special poker. And it went on from there. Oh, boy, did it go on. Going back to listen to Jordan, Minnesota after reading those liner notes was like peering really hard into a picture that was shot out of focus and trying to decipher what it was and then reeling back in horror when you figure out it is something disgusting, something evil. Mm -hmm. Jordan, Minnesota was like that. Although, at 16 years old, we found the visceral truth contained in Jordan, Minnesota impossible to argue with, in fact, almost none of what was depicted in the song and the liner notes turned out to be real. Out of the hundreds of charges filed against the parents of Jordan, Minnesota, I think six of them stuck all to one known run-of-the-mill non-satanic old child molester, James Rudd. Luckily, only the name of Jordan, Minnesota was really ruined in the pursuit of justice. If you Google it today, the results are split evenly between Minnesota Chamber of Commerce sites and the lyrics to the Big Black song. That's kind of not, frustrating. <laughs> for them, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's, and that's the thing, too, is that, like, don't get me wrong, I'm really glad that we don't remember or we're not in a position to remember any of the names of the individuals who were falsely accused in the, the whole Jordan, Minnesota debacle. Um, but, I mean, it is unfortunate for, you know, the, the town. That the town. Know, and yeah. big black fans. Well, I'm just looking for the lyrics. It's a little disappointing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with you on that. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's, just, it's like, and, and like you said, it's like you know, the Chamber of Commerce probably like to push this off behind them. Oh sure, oh, sure. Yeah. But then again, you know, keep in mind this is a town that's smaller than Kenmore. So oh, yeah. know, whatever, you know, yeah. move. What you, do? you know, yes. Yeah, might be time to abandon that town. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. so, okay, so we have this next uh, part of our timeline. This is 1984, Fells Acres daycare case. Gerald Amaral was accused of sexual abuse of numerous children under his daycare at the Fells, uh, Fells Acres daycare center, Meldon, Massachusetts, which was run by his family. While the case involved no ex explicit accusations of Satanism, it did eventually lead to claims that children were forced to watch videos of animal sacrifice, and one child was sodomized by an armoral with a 12-inch knife. Ugh, that is awful. Well, that armoral. would be murder, frankly. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, exactly. Armoral, his sister Cheryl, his mother Violet, were ultimately convicted of litany of abuse charges. The handling case was a subject of harsh criticism. Much of the evidence took form of videotaped interviews of alleged victims by a pediatric nurse. Reviews of these tapes by journalist Dorothy Binowitz revealed clear manipulation in the form of leading and offering rewards for certain responses yeah. and lying about statements of other children involved. So that's just like McMartin. Mm -hmm. same, same deal. Same, yeah, that, these, these same themes again and again. 
Violet died during this colossal judicial fuck up in which she and Cheryl were released uh, after serving seven years, then had their uh, convic- uh, convictions reinstated, then were granted re- uh, retrials, and then ultimately ordered back to prison. Cheryl was formally released from her prison sentence in 1999. Gerald remained in prison until his parole in 2004. So, wow, what a massive destruction oh. of of people's lives and craziness. Yeah. yeah, this this one I think I think is a little clearer because you yeah. know it's like we're only talking about like three people here you know i mean and, right. but i mean at the same time it doesn't minimize the fact that their lives were completely and utterly destroyed and they were destroyed by again you know the manipulation of uh in this case it was a journalist i mean mm-hmm. who you can trust even less than a social worker that's for sure but um again the, the same things keep showing up again it's like animal sacrifice is is always is always there uh, I don't, you know, again, yeah. it, is this just because this is what um, children, you know, have always traditionally related to, you know, is, is animals because they're smaller, because, you know, they're, you know, vulnerable, you know, that type or is of thing. It, or is it because that's something like the people, like, obviously they're feeding the children this information and they're like, you know, feeding them little like crumbs to tell mm-hmm. them what they want to hear, you know, and, and that's what I... That's what I wonder how that thing starts. Like maybe one kid's just got a like a crazy imagination and they tell a crazy story and then it just snowballs. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Or or maybe maybe Aaron is like the the questioners uh just, you know, they 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 keep going round and around until they get a positive response on something which just happens to be uh about animals, you know, to start with and then, you know, from there it goes to, you know, other things that you know, kids are uh, very familiar with, which is their own waste, shit and piss, sure. and like these sure. these, yeah, these yeah. kind of things. And that, again, it just uh, it 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 does just start feeding on itself, basically. So, yeah, it's yeah, and it's just yeah, it's really tragic that you have these people that are just lives are just completely, completely destroyed. Right, right. It's 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 really it's really grim, honestly. But you know. But it is it is a big chunk of history, just like, you know, all the uh, all the stuff that happened in Kenmore in 85, 86. You know, so we got we got to be able to uh, to take a serious look at it. So, right. Um, yeah. January of 85, in fact, was the uh, Bernard Barron case. Uh, Bernard Barron Jr. was accused and quickly convicted of the sexual abuse of a boy under his care at the Early Childhood Development Center in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. The timeline of events here is especially suggestive. Within days of the Fells Acres case, breaking some 150 miles to the west, Barron would be questioned about his homosexuality by his superiors at the Early Childhood Development Center. This questioning stemmed from a complaint by the drug-addicted and police informant parents of a boy who removed their child from care at ECDC some three weeks later and claimed that he had been molested by Barron. The ensuing investigation bridged up further accusations of abuse through the use of puppet show, facilitated interviews with children, and Barron was sentenced to life in prison. Wow. 
The case was so littered with prosecutorial misconduct that Barron was eventually retried in 2006 and freed in 2009. Jeez. But between, between, you know, whenever it was that he went in, he was in jail. In jail for something that had nothing to do with him and just because he happened to be gay. That's uh, that's certainly what it looks like. Well, I mean, I'd certainly trust him more on this than the drug addicted police informant parents. So, sure, I'm sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah right, right. it's it's pretty it's pretty grim. And unfortunately, this this is another example of cases that that are all getting pulled in under the the umbrella of the satanic panic. And a lot of these, in fact, most of them really, are missing that essential element of Satan worship. Or if, or if they touch on it, they touch on it very briefly. And and frankly, that's the part I'm really interested in. There's nothing we can do about, you know, the fact that these individuals have, you know, believed, you know, all these uh, these untruths. And some yeah, people right. paid for them, but yeah. Practice of Satanism. That's worship of the devil. Now, police have been skeptical when investigating these acts, just as we are in reporting them. But there is no question that something is going on out there. And that's sufficient reason for 2020 to look into it. One caution. We believe that some of the pictures and descriptions in Tom Gerald's report may be disturbing and even frightening, particularly to younger viewers. Here is Tom's report. Dateline, North Fort Long Island. A quiet community rocked by reports a teenager was dragged through these woods toward a late-night ritual of death. An eyewitness said the victim, Gary Lowers, was forced to pray to Satan as he was repeatedly stabbed to death. Two young men were arrested. James Troiano was found innocent last month, but his alleged accomplice never made it to trial. Ricky Castle committed suicide in jail the day after his arrest. Despite numerous signs that Castle was into Satanism and rock music associated with devil worship, police steadfastly refused to label this case satanic. The official explanation, a drug-related crime. Dateline, Phoenix, Arizona, 140 dogs found slaughtered. Across the country, police tell us, there have been more than 15,000 animal mutilations, and often they were clearly used in some kind of bizarre ritual, but there's no official explanation. Dateline, Walnut Grove, Alabama. Police are called in to investigate the site of what appears to have been a ritual. They find various satanic paraphernalia, including pictures of the devil. There was a routine inquiry which didn't discover what was going on here. Across this country and Canada, satanic graffiti is turning up on public buildings and abandoned buildings where police suspect secret meetings are being held by people calling themselves Satanist, people who worship the devil. Most often found, the inverted five-pointed satanic pentagram, the upside-down cross, the evil eye, references to Babylon, and the devil's number, 666. What we have here is 1985, the Country Walk case. Uh, Frank Fluster and his wife, Eilina, were accused of sexual molestation of a child in their daycare service in Country Walk, Florida. Subsequent evaluation of three dozen children uh, by child development experts, Joseph and Lori Braga, produced further accusations of abuse, child pornography, animal sacrifice, and satanic ritual practice. Okay, there we go. A little bit. Yeah, it, it's kicking in there. Uh, subsequent review of the uh, the videotape evaluations revealed that the usual pattern of leading of leading and coercion. After weeks of solitary confinement, in which she was visited by a number of uh, psychologists and therapists, 
including nearly 30 visits from Behavior Changers Incorporated. Yeah, that's uh, not employee... sinister, right? <laughs> yeah, I just, it sounds just creepy. Um, <laughs> we got you. We can solve your problems. Um, employed hypnotic uh, uh, recovered memory techniques. Elena implicated her husbands in the abuse of in exchange for a reduced sentence. Elena served three years before being deported to Honduras. Frank Fluster was sentenced to life and remains incarcerated. He's the only person for the satanic daycare abuse hysteria that's still in prison. Wow, jeez, man. Yeah, that's I mean, that's insane. So, I mean, I don't know this case, but I mean, and maybe there is some elements of like maybe something was done wrong but like it's hard to say like but like as we keep seeing these things are like coerced and these these stories these stories are helped embellished by giving leading questions so it just gets worse and worse and worse and you're just thinking like holy crap like it really uh, makes you question all this stuff you know the whole idea of you know again uh the wife what's her name Alina. Uh, basically, you know, the, using hypnotic recover memory techniques on her, she implicates her own husband right, in right. exchange for a reduced sentence. That's how do you come back from something like that? You know, what uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but spouses often can often like throw their you know, partner under the bus. All the time. It happens all the time. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they had a terrible relationship. But awesome. no matter what, I mean, it's just, it's awful. And and this uh, Behavior behavior Changers Incorporated, I mean, yeah. it's like, it's sort of like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall where he goes in the machine and just like, you know, <laughs> you can just dream your whole um, uh, vacation. Right, and. Right. It feels just kind of cheesy and mm-hmm. really, uh, I don't know. Like, um, do you remember what the the name of the company was in Total Recall that was that was uh, giving him the uh, the vacation of a lifetime? Not off the top I, of my head. I, I I have I did watch it like maybe within the last year, but I haven't. Um, huh. I don't recall off the top of my head. Did it hold too- up? It's still a fun movie. I'm not going to say it's a good movie, <laughs> but it's still, it's still fun to watch. You know, there's some fun gotcha. parts. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Next up, 1986, the Bronx Five daycare cases. Five men working at various daycares in the Bronx were accused of sexual abuse of some 30 children. Among the accused was a Methodist minister, Nathaniel Grady, the primary witness against whom was a three-year-old boy. No recordings or transcripts of the interviews with the boy were made. All five men were convicted and imprisoned. Through the efforts of attorney Joel Rudin and others, the convictions of all five men were eventually overturned. Grady was the last to be freed after serving a decade behind bars. Yeah. Uh, another, I mean, yeah. I mean, how many, it's, you, you'd think that, um, I, I don't know, now that you're thinking about it, and the more we talk about um, criminal, criminal justice, how absolutely flawed it is. And <laughs> just, you yeah. know, like you just get on the wrong side of that line and all of a sudden you're, you're, de- you're done. You know, mm-hmm. people's, mm-hmm or I'll point fingers at you. So, and there's, even if you're the most innocent person, I mean, these people are literally daycare 
owners. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I'm not saying every daycare is a great daycare, but you have to imagine right. you have to pass some kind of bar of uh, being trustworthy. Some and, sort you know, of a people, licensure, you know, or, or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, people are dropping their kids off at your at your place, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. Similarly speaking, it just if uh, if if someone out there is is molesting children, then obviously then they need to be prosecuted to the, to sure. the highest yeah. extent. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah, no doubt but, about that. But you know this the, the whole the whole idea of you know uh, innocent until proven guilty, and uh, you know that that aspect it really it really does kind of show you that. You know, if you're, you know, kind of just riding on the, uh, the, the rough seas of history, uh, some really terrible things can happen to you. And even in this country, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty atrocious. Right. Um, going forward, we have October 1988, Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground. This infamous episode of the, the Geraldo Rivera show is a total circus. The whole thing is so awkward and frantic as to identify summary. The program was reported the highest rated TV documentary to date and features uh, Maury Terry, Sons of Sam documentary, and and a nostalgically cogent Ozzy Osbourne, among many others. Geraldo, to his credit, later apologized for his role in the purviewing of the Satanic Panic in um, 1995. Um, I do remember this coming out. And this was kind of of a big big deal I, I i sort of remember like my mom like saying we have to watch this and oh yeah I was, and i was sort of just like what why you know like this is weird <laughs> so yeah um, no i uh i got i got this the the same the, the same thing like you know obviously you know i was i was i was older so this was halloween of uh of my uh, my senior year. Um, okay. Oh, in fact, actually, no, scratch that. This would be this would be uh, Halloween, my freshman year of college, in October okay. of 1988. But um, yeah, I, I don't remember seeing this, you know, at, at all during that time. But the the thing for me now is like I, I went back. I didn't watch the entire thing, but I did I did watch chunks of it just to see. And Ozzy uh, actually was you know uh, speaking English adequately mm-hmm. you know so it was, mm-hmm. it was impressive but um the, the other the other parts with uh with uh, maury terry um and if you know folks who are who are listening uh haven't seen it yet do yourselves a favor watch the sons of sam documentary i believe it's on netflix yes. it's the story of this fellow maury terry who was an investi- investigative journalist and um basically he he went down a rabbit hole uh, as far as um, David Berkowitz and the whole Son of Sam case, and then the individuals that he found who he believed were part of a satanic underground, and just went went from there. And unfortunately, part of, part of what you can see on the Geraldo show is Maury Terry's displeasure at being on a panel. With other sure. people, with you know, just incredibly crackpot ideas. I mean, yep. don't get me wrong. You know, Maury Mor- Terry, you know, had definitely, you know, maybe pushed further um, than the facts were gonna were gonna allow him to. But I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a crackpot. 
And there's, right. there was, I mean, Geraldo was just looking for ratings. And sure, absolutely. And it was, it was low hanging fruit. Yeah. Oh, totally. And beyond the mayhem and monsters, it's said that a nationwide network of satanic criminals exists. Start with the warped and wicked Charles Manson. It's everything that human beings that don't understand. It's all their fears. It's what they're not sure of. You dig what I'm saying? Satan to me would be God. Well, the demented son of Sam Killer, David Berkowitz. These and others purportedly linked to the devil worship underground. They're Satan. It's all over the United States and probably all over the world because it's just something that people are experimenting with now. Impossible to measure. Easy to doubt. The very mention of it invites ridicule. Come out. No. I won't let her go. No. Often the choice is to avoid confronting Ignore it. Find other explanations. Or laugh it off. That is not the choice we have made tonight. We have chosen to ask why. Via satellite, we'll be asking the youngest person on Oklahoma's death row, just 17 when he killed in the name of Satan, why he murdered his own parents. And to Southern California, where we will ask the parents of children in the notorious McMartin Preschool why they claim their kids were satanically abused. And to London, where rock star Ozzy Osbourne will tell us why he feels he and heavy metal music are getting a bum rap. And to the state penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana, to ask convicted killer Charles Gervais why he thought the devil would award him 10,000 souls. The Investigative News Group presents the Geraldo Rivera Special. Devil Worship. Exposing Satan's Underground. Some more uh, actual satanic uh ritual abuse here uh it's 1989 the little rascals daycare case uh robert kelly co-owner of little rascals daycare center in edenton north carolina was accused of the sexual abuse of a child the subsequent investigation included months of therapy sessions with some 90 children these sessions turned up accusations of sodomy satanic rituals, and infanticide in the form of feeding children to sharks. <laughs> Seven individuals were charged with sexual abuse. They went to trial, and all were convicted, of course. Later that year, the convictions of Robert Kelly and Don Wilson were overturned due to prosecutorial errors. Lack all of shark charges. evidence. Lack of shark evidence. <laughs> No, man, I mean, no, that, unfortunately, that goes right back to uh, to what we were talking about before. Just, you know, like the, uh, it's the, you know, the animals thing. You know, it's like lions, sharks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're going to get included one way or the other, you right. know. So yeah. that's just, oh, man, it's criminal. But anyway, well, that's finally the end of that litany of fucking tragedy. I, I um, just, I just want to know, is like the little rascals daycare, you know, they come in and like, you know. I, I got my, my son Paul off here this morning, and I went to pick him up, and he's just not there. Like he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that shark looks awfully fat. Um, shape of Paul on his belly, <laughs> yeah, like a I mean, like, I mean, you know, I, I know. I'm just like, well, like, like, where was the logic in all this? Good. 
You know, I mean, but you may as well ask who calls your daycare center little rascals because you're just asking yeah. for it. You know, they're and asking that's just, for something. Oh, you know, yikes. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Um, but, um, yeah, it's called, it would have been worse if it was called Spanky and the Gang and all this happened. So, um, <laughs> but at least there were satanic rituals at least, you know, mentioned or referred to in, in, in that one. So, and the little um, rascals. Yeah. 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 But that was the 1980s, basically. And the, I mean, what consisted more or less of the satanic panic. Again, you know, these, these were, these were the, the biggest, the biggest deals as far as convictions went and that, and that sort of thing. But um, because of the fact that no one's ever actually discovered or proven that there is any kind of uh, satanic ritual abuse underground. The Satanic Panic will conclude next week with episode 11. The segment of Jordan, Minnesota by Big Black provided discourtesy of Big Black. The Return to Snakeland podcast was created by Aaron O'Brien and Jason Gusman. All music written and performed by Dotson Moon. If you like what you've heard, you can access more Dotson Moon music at dotsonmoon.bandcamp.com If you have any information as to the 1985 murder of Kathy Harold, please contact us at our email address returntosnakeland at gmail.com You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have an interest in further historic materials from the period, or information on the Return to Snakeland graphic novel, please come see us at returntosnakeland.com. If you would like to contribute in order to ensure the future of this podcast, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com front slash returntosnakeland. Thanks for everything. See you next time.